Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Crucial Talks podcast. I'm your host, Mike Sedam. This podcast is about human behavior and what drives people. Because what drives this podcast is understanding what drives people, I also believe that people are where the power lies in our companies, in our communities, and in our industries. This is the third episode in a series where I discuss the three pillars of the Crucial Talks podcast. These pillars support our journey into understanding ourselves and each other just a little bit better. We try to focus on the strengths of human-based systems, from how we can transform ourselves to how we can work better in teams. These topics were covered in episode 37, where we discussed self-transformation, and episode 38, where we discussed group behavior. This week, we get to continue on this journey where we focus on the positives of systems where people are our greatest resource. In episode 37, we talked about the person. In episode 38, we talked about people in groups. In this episode, we're going to talk about people in systems, in organizations, in these broader-based networks. In my opinion, there is no better way to have a strength based focus on systems of people than by using appreciative inquiry. How many of you have heard of Thomas Edison? I'm guessing many people know him as the inventor of the light bulb. Back when he was developing the light bulb, there were already some alternatives to gas street lamps. The light bulb had actually been invented before, but he and his team had to work on inventing an electric light bulb, not that would only work, but would work for the larger population. This had to be something that could work for everyone. They tried over 6,000 materials to use as filaments before they found one that worked and was inexpensive enough to be mass produced. Now, I just saw a little video on people where their ideas were stolen. I saw it either on Facebook or LinkedIn or one of the social media outlets. Basically, they gave credit to somebody who had developed a light bulb product 20 years or so earlier than Edison, claiming that he had stolen their idea. But think about what Edison did. The light bulb they were trying to produce had to be inexpensive, durable, and practical so it could be used in homes. But one of the city's greatest innovations is still in its infancy. One man will change the urban landscape forever. 1879 Menlo Park, New Jersey, 51 kilometers from New York. Thomas Edison, inventor, entrepreneur, showman. He was taken out of school as a boy, but that won't stop him from becoming synonymous with inventions that define the modern era. He pushes his team hard 24 hours a day, seven days a week in one of the world's first research laboratories, generating over 1,000 patents. The world still lights the night in the dangerous flicker of candles, gas and kerosene. Edison has a better idea. If he can get a filament to burn slowly in a vacuum, the electric light bulb. He claimed to have gone through 6,000 materials from uh, the plant world alone in his search for the, the perfect filament. Then something extraordinary happens. Cardboard. 
piece of carbonized cardboard burns for 300 hours. It's going to change the way people live forever. What Edison does is nothing less than to banish the darkness. Now think of the meaning of that. Think of what that means to daily life. New Year's Eve, 1879. Edison shows off his new invention. Thousands of people flock to his lab. The Pennsylvania Railway arranges special trains to accommodate the crowds. Thomas Edison invented that light bulb, that electric light bulb. What a, how magical that must have been. You know, to sit there and just all of a sudden, like without a match or without kerosene or gas and just flip a switch and light. In just two years, Edison builds more than 5,000 power stations, generating electricity for cities like New York, Boston, Chicago, Detroit, St. Louis, and New Orleans. Over the next five years, he builds over 127,000 more. By 1902, 18 million light bulbs are in use. The impact on America is massive. Sports venues, factories and shops. All can now operate at night. When I was a kid, I imagined Thomas Edison wearing a lab coat, standing in a windowless room, working feverishly to invent this item that would make its way into homes across the world. I thought of him as a singular person giving of himself every day to develop this new technology, using his mind by himself to develop something that would change humanity. But in reality, somebody had already developed the concept. And in reality, it wasn't just him working on this new product. It was a team. The reality was something a lot different than what I had in my mind. His team used what had been developed by people in the past. They learned from people in the past. They learned from strengths that had been developed in the past. Again, the light bulb he ended up patenting was not the first replacement for gas lamps, but his team took what had been working. Then they looked at the strengths that had come before them, looked at the strengths they could offer, and then they had to try over 6,000 materials to find one that worked. How many people would try something 6,000 times? At one point, would some people stop? Think about the alternatives. What if they're sitting around at number 300? They had 299 failures beforehand. Somebody had said, hey, look, we've tried this 300 times. It doesn't work. Electric lights are just not possible to get into homes. Would we have electric light bulbs today? I don't know. They tried 6,000 thousand times the questions they had to ask that they had to bring up to each other had to be strength-based they had to be positive because if they were negative they would have quit six thousand times they never quit until it worked what drove them to continue they had failures they had lots of failures yet they continued they focused on what they were good at they focused on what was working they had created a system for cooperative capacity so that they could develop something that would change the world. They showed the power of people. We, as human beings, are social storytelling animals that can create reality with each other. Edison's team had a vision. 
They had a dream and they worked toward this shared vision because they could see it and feel it within each other. This is the essence of what appreciative inquiry can do for any human-based systems. It lets us focus on positives so that we can build capacity. I don't care if it's a capacity for safety, the capacity to stay motivated, the capacity for leadership, or the capacity to communicate openly and honestly. Appreciative inquiry is a positively focused way to use strengths to build cooperative capacity in human-based systems. And we need this capacity in our organizations if we want to go from being average to being exceptional. So in order to understand appreciative inquiry a little bit better, let's see where we are today with organizational behavior and and what drives people in organizations and what they think they're doing to better the organization. So Edison was not just the inventor of the light bulb. He was actually the boss of someone who in his own right would change the world and industry as we know it. Henry Ford had worked for Edison. They'd become friends when he was developing the Ford Quadricycle, a hand-built, expensive piece of machinery that if a part broke, that part needed to be replaced by machining a new part or creating a custom fix for the part. It was too expensive. Then Ford develops the assembly line and changed industry forever. Manufacturing a car became more efficient and less expensive, as did the parts needed to keep the car running. Parts became interchangeable. The interchangeable parts not only made the car more effective for people, it also made it cheaper to produce. And Ford also had a relationship with Frederick Winslow Taylor, the father of scientific management. Just like you could break down a car and the manufacturing of that car into small pieces, he believed work by people could be broken down the same way. And this made it into Ford Motor Company. Every day in manufacturing plants across the world, People learned how to build things. They learned how to build things efficiently. And they learned, companies learned, if the part didn't work right, you could change it out. It's no surprise to me that this encroached into how we dealt with people. Break work down into small parts. Scientifically manage that work into how things are done, and you'll have an efficient organization. You'll maximize profit. What this ended up doing was creating a narrative that said, hey, people can be interchanged just like car parts. And that is not how people work. We're not just like car parts. We need to deal with people as people. And this, this is the essence of appreciative inquiry. Knowing that people are the strongest resource we have to get from average to exceptional is where appreciative inquiry can really help organizations can really help industries, can really help communities because it focuses and gets people thinking about the strengths in those systems and having a shared vision for what they can attain. So I think it's fair to say that we all know people are not interchangeable like parts on an assembly line. We are social. We need each other. We need to feel as if we have a purpose. And with that, we can do extraordinary things with others. This is why I think appreciative inquiry can be such a valuable set of principles that we can use to change our systems. It's a process of change. It allows us to change our lens from a deficit-focused view, where we're always looking in the rearview mirror, where we're looking for problems to deal with, into a lens where we can have a positive view, looking out the front windshield into how we can use our strengths to build capacity. 
when we focus on strengths, our lens changes, and this causes a few things to happen. We end up asking the right questions in the right way, appreciative questions, positive questions. This means our questions get framed in a way that looks forward, not backward. And the questions don't lead to change. And this is what I want to touch on real quick. The questions we ask in a deficit-focused environment always tend to be focused on, hey, what are we going to change after we're done asking these questions? In appreciative inquiry, the questions don't lead to change. They actually start the change. The moment you ask a question, change has begun. That's why the questions are focused on positive, on strengths, on looking forward, on what's going well. Too often, when an organization wants to change something, it does ask questions, but it asks questions to find those problems we're talking about, believing that change is going to happen after the investigatory phase, after you identify the problem. A main principle of appreciative inquiry is that it begins when we start asking questions, and that is why we need to ask the right type of question. A question that allows us to focus on the best we have to offer allows us to concentrate on what makes the organization work well. I think of it like riding a motorcycle. The motorcycle is going to go where your eyes are looking. If you look at an obstacle in the road, an obstacle you are trying to avoid, you actually increase your chance of hitting it. If you don't want to hit it, look where you want the motorcycle to go. Look at the opening. Look where it's clear. Look where you want to go. You need to be looking forward in the direction you want to go. So as a result of these types of appreciative inquiry, we also begin to see our organizations in a different way. Instead of thinking of our companies, our families, our communities, or any other system you want to talk about, instead of thinking of those things as problems that need to be solved, we start to see them as living systems that can grow and innovate. We see these systems we live and work in as things that can be changed and molded into something better instead of just something that causes problems in our lives that we now have to solve. Because we are talking in positive ways, because we are having communication that is positive and strength-based, we begin to see the organization as something that is constantly changing, but we also see a positive image of it in the future. And what happens is people begin to work toward that new vision. And things start to happen to bring that vision of the future organization into reality. All of these principles of appreciative inquiry tell us that it is a way to build capacity. Let me say that again. Appreciative inquiry is a way to build capacity. It is a strength-based search for what makes an organization tick. What drives your organization to do what it does? Now, I know this saying is almost becoming a little cliche now. But what is your why? What is your organization's why? We're talking about a strength-based search for what makes an organization tick. That's why this question of why is important. It drives what makes your organization tick. And organizations, like any system, takes collaboration. And that's why I think appreciative inquiry is so valuable, because it also requires collaboration. The effort of applying appreciative inquiry requires collaboration, and also helps build cooperation even while going through the effort of appreciative inquiry. It is a process where people are working together to come up with this vision, this positive vision, developing the strengths, looking at what the organization does well. It doesn't just focus on executives or management. It focuses on everybody. 
appreciative inquiry needs to include people from all different areas of the systems we are in. And my favorite part of appreciative inquiry is that it recognizes the role of stories in human behavior. As we use appreciative inquiry, people talk, they share, they discuss, and they do it not just in a meeting set up for appreciative inquiry, but in many different conversations all throughout the system. Conversations that just happen during meetings, but also during other opportunities, like during breaks at lunch or while passing others in the hallway. These stories create the future of the organization. Human beings are social animals, and we are social storytelling animals. Not only are we probably the most social creature on the planet, we're the only social creature on the planet that can create reality with each other, and we do it through stories. That is why appreciative inquiry to me is so valuable because it accounts for this ability of human beings to construct realities with each other, to see a future everybody can work toward no matter what their role. In today's episode, we were able to see that appreciative inquiry is a positive, strength-based focus on changing systems by focusing on people. It's not just putting a change in policy or making a change to the type of technology we use. It's truly about understanding what drives people including the role of language, communication, and stories to develop positive feelings with each other and creating a vision we can all work toward. That's why I think it is beneficial to any system that counts on people, which is like all of them, right? Most of our companies, most of our organizations, our communities, our families all depend on people interacting. And this is why I think appreciative inquiry is so valuable. It's also why I think it's such a refreshing approach to organizational behavior. Instead of the Industrial Revolution's focus on changing out parts, which translated to changing out people, which looked at people as just parts of a machine, it looks at people as they are, social storytelling animals. So let's do this. Let's take a positive look at where we work and where we live. Let's put on a positive lens and build a future that is better and brighter for everybody. Thanks so much for listening. If you have a chance, I would love it if you could subscribe to the podcast and rate it. This helps a lot in getting new members into our community of people that want to put on a positive lens to view themselves and others. Also, please visit the Crucial Talks website at www.crucialtalks.com and connect with me however you can. I really enjoy talking with people. I enjoy communicating. I enjoy trading ideas. I can do that via email, via phone, via text message, you name it, and I'm willing to connect with you. Have a great week. And remember, if we want to understand behavior, we need to understand what drives people.